Hello and welcome to Tuesdays at APA Chicago, our monthly after-hours lecture series held at APA's Burnham Conference Center. My name is David Morley. I'm a senior research associate at APA and host of Tuesdays at APA Chicago. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. Selected past programs are also available as podcasts, and you can see the APA website for additional details. Tonight we have with us Josh Ellis from the Metropolitan Planning Council. Josh is a program director at MPC in Chicago, where he oversees multiple programs to sustainably manage Illinois' finite water resources and reduce the harmful impacts of stormwater. Before his graduate studies in public policy and Middle Eastern studies at the University of Chicago, he managed a small school in Japan. While the greater Chicago region has historically had access to ample fresh water, it can no longer assume that water supplies are infinite. Without coordinated planning and policy, the Chicago region may be in jeopardy of forfeiting future growth and prosperity. Josh is here tonight to summarize the current state of water supply planning in the Chicago region and to highlight opportunities for moving northeastern Illinois toward a more sustainable water supply paradigm. Please join me in welcoming Josh Ellis. Thanks, David. Uh, I guess before I turn that on, thank, thank you for having me. Uh, I just have a couple of questions to get a feel of, of who's here. So uh, who here professionally uh, works uh, for a unit of government, some sort of public sector entity doing planning? Two. City or suburbs? Suburbs. suburbs. Where? Deerfield and Downers Grove. Okay. Uh, and everyone is who here is with a private planning entity, consultant firm of some kind, couple. Who here is an academic or a student? And then there are other folks who are here for general curiosity? Yes. All right. Good. Um, so tonight, uh, David mentioned that uh, at MPC, I direct our water supply and our stormwater work. Tonight, I'm going to talk about water supply issues. Uh, I think in a few weeks, one of my colleagues is going to be back here talking about stormwater uh, things. Um, so I'm going to limit things to water supply. There are a couple of things at the end that sort of bridge the gap between water and stormwater. Uh, and give an update on where things are in the region in terms of regional water supply planning. Uh, one of the challenges that we have at MPC, um, particularly in this world of planning, um, and a question you might ask as I go through some of these slides, uh, uh, we, MPC, are of course a nonprofit, non-government entity. We are not CMAP, who is the quasi-governmental regional planning agency. So a lot of the slides at the beginning come from the regional water supply, water supply plan, Water 2050, which CMAP facilitated. Um, we didn't make the plan. Uh, we were somewhat instrumental in it getting done. And since then, as I will discuss, uh, not a whole lot has happened because of government funding issues. So I'm here talking about the need to get them going again on water supply planning. Um, so just so there's no confusion, I'm not from CMAP and I didn't write the regional water supply plan. All right. So there is the front cover of the regional water supply plan. Um, <clears throat> this was issued several years ago. And, and the basic history. Uh, and I've been there somewhat from the beginning of, of our state's recent history in regional water supply planning. Um, in 2005, yes, sir. That's an immediate question, yeah. Jump into it. Just quickly, uh, just quickly give us a, uh, a definition of the difference between Metropolitan Planning Council oh, sure. and the 
and the CMAP. Oh, okay, so this is a good question. I actually meant to ask this on the way over. Who here historically has been confused about the difference between MPC and CMAP, CMAP? A couple, uh, right. So the Metropolitan Planning Council next year will celebrate our 80th birthday, okay? We were originally founded as the Metropolitan Housing Council, largely a civic-led organization, very comparable to uh, some of the other Chicago sort of business-led civic organizations. Always non-government, always non-profit. At the, at the outset, it was a housing-focused uh, organization in wanting to ensure that we had policies that supported uh, the availability of quality housing for anybody living in the city of Chicago. In the 80 years since then, we have taken on other regional planning issues, uh, transportation, water supply, stormwater, other things, and have expanded our scope to cover uh, all of northeastern Illinois. We're still non-government, we're still nonprofit. Uh, we do a fair amount of advocacy work. Yesterday I was down in Springfield talking to the Illinois Department of Public Health about some stuff I'll talk about later. A uh, fair amount of research, fair amount of direct technical assistance. Uh, I was down in Blue Island today helping them with some riverfront uh, planning. Uh, and a lot of work in the media raising the profile of uh, different sort of issues that are going on, whether it's housing, transportation, water resources. CMAP, the Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning, uh, is six or seven years old now. They are the child of a merger between the Northeast Illinois Planning Commission, NIPSI, and the Chicago Area Transportation Study. So several years ago, those entities were merged with the idea that regional transportation planning and regional land use planning should probably be done by the same entity. Now, the Chicago Area Transportation Study is the official MPO, or Metropolitan Planning Organization, which is a federal transportation funding designation. Pretty much every population center of more than 40,000 people has an MPO. We have 14 in Illinois, Kankakee, Champaign, they all have an MPO. And they have some jurisdiction over federal transportation money. So that power came to CMAP through this merger. And so one of the things that their MPO uh, function is deciding on right now is whether to amend our regional plan, GO2-2040, uh, to include the Ileana Expressway as a priority regional transportation project, which would then put it in the queue for federal funding. It wasn't in the original plan, it's now been proposed, and on October 9th their MPO board is deciding that. So they actually have some jurisdiction over transportation dollars. Pretty much everything else that CMAP does is uh, advisory. They don't have a whole lot of control over too many other purse strings. Uh, they don't have zoning powers. They don't have bonding authority, anything like that. So their one real uh, power is their uh, power over some of this transportation money. Is that? So we are different. We're nonprofit. They're purely their government. They, in hindsight, might have chosen a different acronym so that there might be less confusion between MPC and CMAP since it's largely the same letters. But that's all right. Is that, is that okay? Good. Uh, good, a lot of people don't ask uh, and confuse the two of us. Um, okay, let's go back a few years. Uh, in 2005, we had a drought uh, here in, in Illinois, Northeastern Illinois felt it pretty badly. Uh, and at that time, it was clear that there really was no 
even inkling of any sort of regional plan on how we were going to manage our Lake Michigan groundwater and river water uh, resources. Uh, our organization, along with Open Lands, went to our governor at that time, uh, Governor Bogoyevich, and made the case that we needed to create some sort of structure for these regional water pipe supply plans to exist. We should be planning for uh, protection and provision of the resource at the scale at which it's being managed. An executive order was issued at the very end of 2005, went into place in 2006, and called for the creation of two regional water supply planning groups in the state and gave the Department of Natural Resources the charge to monitor these plans, to fund them, and ultimately to determine how the state could create seven more regional water supply planning groups so that the whole state was covered, so that ultimately we would have a state plan built on nine regional plans. CMAP was selected in northeastern Illinois to run our northeastern Illinois regional water supply planning group. That process occurred from 2006 to 2009. Halfway through 2007, so sort of the midpoint, uh, the funding from the state was cut off and CMAP and the members of the Regional Water Supply Planning Group had to scrounge for county and local resources in order to continue the process. That should have been the first sign that uh, this re new, new effort at Regional Water Supply Planning might not be getting the support from the state that it needed to. Nonetheless, for three years, they convened uh, the 11 counties of northeastern Illinois, it was bigger than the six or seven county area we normally think of. They convened those counties, municipalities, although the municipalities never thought they were sufficiently represented uh, and probably were correct. Uh, industry, agriculture, environmental groups, some planning professionals, all told a group of about 36 people. Uh, and they met on a monthly basis for three years and developed Water 2050. That is our region's water supply plan. Part of, uh, and that plan is totally advisory. Okay? It gives both the state and counties and municipalities, uh, and to some degree agriculture and industry, some guidance on ways in which they can try to uh, manage our water resources better. Purely a supply issue here too. There's basically no stormwater or sewage issues described in the regional water supply plan. One of the things that was performed for the plan was a demand scenario, and that's what this chart is here on the right, okay? Uh, one of these things is gonna be a light. That's gonna be the light, okay. So, uh, acknowledging that in the 11 county area they were anticipating a 38% growth in population, they did these three demand scenarios. The light blue scenario in the middle is basically the uh, the current trend scenario or do nothing differently than we do now. So every year uh, our plumbing fixtures become a little more efficient uh, as people buy new ones and replace older outdated ones. Every year water rates go up a little bit sporadically in some places. Population shifts, this was all before the recession and so population boom was booming still in Will and Kane and McHenry counties. Um, this assumed that if we just continue doing what we do today uh, we're expecting a 36% increase in demand for fresh water. That's for the entire region, irregardless of the source. Okay? The two other scenarios, the, low, the less resource intensive scenario, some of the assumptions were made here were that uh, water rates were going to keep pace with the increasing cost of providing water. Uh, it assumed that most of the region's population growth would be in Cook and DuPage counties. 
uh, it assumed a sharp uptick in the number of uh, municipal programs to subsidize uh, water efficient toilets and things like that. So it made some pretty aggressive uh, assumptions to develop this less resource intensive scenario and they came up with only a 7% increase in the demand for water at the same time as they had this 38% increase. And then the sort of the hog wild, everybody has 12 shower heads, uh, every home has a giant lot with an irrigation system, uh, we don't do anything with water rates, most of the populations in the groundwater parts of the region, so on and so forth, we have this 64% increase. And more or less, the plan was then written to encourage us to be somewhere in between the current trends and the less resource intensive scenario. Now, when this plan was done, they did it, and as you read the plan, proportionately, uh, it, it sort of matches up to where we get our water from in the region, right? So in the region, whether it's by volume or by population, about 75% of the region's water comes from Lake Michigan. 20% comes from groundwater, and the rest is from the Fox and the Kankakee Rivers. And some of the challenge we had in the Regional Water Supply Planning Group is that arguably the groundwater and river water needed some more attention because while less of the population gets water from there, they arguably require more management than our pretty centralized Lake Michigan pipe system. I'll come back to that in a little bit. This is just to give you an idea in the large planning area uh, where, what our water resources are. Uh, I mentioned the 77% or so that gets water from Lake Michigan, that's all these light blue communities. You can see it goes out as far as Plainfield. It's like a 50-mile drive or so from the lake. A uh, large portion of Will County, although not Joliet, uh, pretty much all of DuPage, most of Cook, uh, the Barrington areas, and outlier, uh, and then about half of Lake County. Since then, uh, basically this area of Lake County has all submitted uh, applications to the Illinois Department of Natural Resources to get permits to move on to Lake Michigan water. They've been granted those permits, but they haven't actually, and they're negotiating all the infrastructure contracts and so on and so forth, but to my knowledge, none of them have actually made the switch to Lake Michigan water right now. So they're still getting water uh, from these shallow aquifers. Uh, Elgin and Aurora both do consume some water from the Fox River. Uh, they are relatively unique in that regard. Uh, and then we have a whole mishmash of communities either, either using water from deep aquifers, basically uh, an aquifer about 400 to 500 feet below the surface uh, and separated from us by a layer of bedrock. Uh, the deep aquifers, for all intents and purposes, uh, if you pump water from a deep aquifer, you are effectively mining it like you would mine metal out of a, out of a mountain. Uh, because the recharge rates for those deep aquifers are so slow that in our lifetime, uh, they don't recharge very quickly. The only real area in our region where the deep aquifer recharges quickly is in DeKalb. Uh, there the, the, the bedrock comes up to the surface and water can actually get underneath it, whatever. The shallow aquifers, oh, so I should say that the deep aquifers uh, have some advantages in that they are protected from contamination from things like road salt or pharmaceuticals. They're pretty resistant to drought because drought doesn't affect them except that our pumpage increases. Um, Shallow aquifers are pretty much just the opposite. Shallow aquifers, if you start digging in your sandbox, eventually the sand's gonna get moist. You're coming close to the water table. The shallow aquifer is basically that water system. It is the same water system uh, that water from streams and lakes come from as a general rule. Uh, and so these are 
intimately connected. These are very susceptible to precipitation changes. Uh, so in uh, last year when we had our big drought, uh, the shallow aquifers in our region got hit really hard. Um, they are also very susceptible to things like road salt and uh, other contaminants. But they recharge very quickly after it rains. Uh, rivers are their own challenge. Uh, if there is abundant rainfall, river water is typically fairly clean. Uh, our wastewater treatment plants that discharge uh, to the Fox River do a pretty good job. And so that water quality, when there's abundant rainfall, is generally pretty good. Last year during the drought, when there was no rainfall, the percentage of effluent in the Fox River was much higher. It was the same amount of effluent, but as a concentration, it was much higher. Uh, and so their management, uh, their, their filtration and treatment costs in Aurora and Elgin went way up uh, because they had to uh, take extra stuff out of the water. Lake Michigan, the biggest issue largely is the management of the infrastructure system. Um, the city of Chicago, which all things considered is a pretty small footprint, uh, in that Lake Michigan distribution area. The uh, city of Chicago has 4,250 miles of water mains, 25% um, uh, of which are more than a century old. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. That's just the city of Chicago. Uh, if we extrapolate that out to the rest of this area, uh, we're talking tens of thousands of miles of pipe uh, in northeastern Illinois requiring maintenance. And in many of the older communities, I was in Franklin Park a couple weeks ago. They're in basically the same situation that Chicago is, where they've got uh, a really old set of pipes that leak a lot of water, so on and so forth. So that's the story with where the water's going and the history of our regional water supply plan. That plan was issued in 2011, encompassed this entire area. Since 2011, there has been not a cent from the state of Illinois to support uh, any sort of implementation of that plan. Uh, the regional water supply planning group that CMAP was facilitating was dissolved, has not met since then. Uh, the idea that the Illinois Department of Natural Resources was going to create additional regional water supply planning groups uh, did not come to fruition. The other regional plan that was created was in the East Muhammad Aquifer area, which is the Champaign uh, footprint of where Champaign is. That plan was uh, finished, uh, and they actually started one more, the Kaskaskia River Basin at the southern part of the state. Uh, and since then, there hasn't been a whole lot. Part of the problem was money. Part of it was that it started to rain. That whole regional planning thing was a result of the 2005 drought. So between 2006 and 2009 or so, uh, it rained. And suddenly, water supply issues, people stopped caring. Uh, there was no money for them, so on and so forth. Now, last year, we had one of the more significant droughts in recent uh, memory. And so suddenly, <laughs> People were all interested in water supply planning again. Um, what happened, uh, essentially, was that the Department of Natural Resources started getting phone calls, largely downstate, uh, from, you know, they had low river conditions on the Illinois or some other rivers, and they had a large farm and a power plant and a mine all wanted the water that was in the river. And they were asking, who gets it? And the Department of Natural Resources said, well, I don't know, right? Uh, Illinois uh, uses essentially eastern water law. There are no water rights here. Uh, and so the Illinois Department of Natural Resources had no structure or even uh, scheme of priorities to be able to say to the farmer, to the miner, and to the factory who got the water first. This compelled them to suddenly be interested again in trying to create additional regional water supply plans that would somehow prioritize 
water uses. Here in northeastern Illinois, our predominant water use is for residential purposes with industry and retail commercial as secondary, and there's very little use for agriculture. So here it's, it's quite easy, and all, you know, all things considered, to figure out the priority of water uses. The rest of the state, it's much more challenging. So with that, Department of Natural Resources said, hey, let's talk about this. Let's find some money for regional water supply planning. Uh, so the good news, after all of this, is that in the typically slow, <laughs> slow way that the state does things, they've hired a uh, consultant to help them identify revenue sources to support ongoing water supply planning. They've actually started asking the Illinois State Water Survey, who does all of our groundwater and climate modeling. They've asked them what kinds of needs they might have in the future for helping communities plan for water resources. Uh, and they've started going to a handful of other parts of the state to see whether there's actual interest in participating in a, in a planning process. Uh, so that's going again. It, they were all charged up last year because of the drought, and then it started raining again and things have slowed down. They also uh, have approached CMAP and the Muhammad Aquifer Group uh, to start asking them whether or not they want, they, if, if the state were to provide them some money, is there something you could do? And the answer, of course, is sure. All right. Um, so that's sort of what's going on. But we're grappling uh, here in our region uh, with some serious issues. In David's intro, uh, he mentioned the fact that we have historically always thought of this big blue blob over here uh, as being the, uh, whatever, our insurance. Like, we'll always have water because Lake Michigan uh, is there. Um, Lake Michigan will likely always be there, but that doesn't mean we'll always be able to pump water from it. The Illinois Department of Natural Resources manages our allocation program. We have a specific amount of water as defined by the U.S. Supreme Court that we can pump from the lake. So while we don't have, perhaps don't have a natural finiteness when it comes to Lake Michigan, we, had, we do have a legal one. Uh, we can only pump 2.1 billion gallons a day. That 2.1 billion gallons is then allocated out by the Department of Natural Resources. Uh, Chicago has a permit, uh, Downers Grove, Deerfield have permits, uh, so on and so forth for use of that water. There are other things other than water supply that go into that diversion uh, amount. Uh, maintaining navigation levels in the Chicago and Calumet rivers, that's a use of Lake Michigan water. Stormwater runoff uh, in the historic watershed of the Chicago and Calumet rivers counts as water uh, we take from the lake. It, it used to go into the lake, now we've diverted it and it goes down the Mississippi River to New Orleans. Uh, it counts as water we've taken out of the lake. So ironically, in rainy years, we lose part of our water supply because it's storm water that uh, goes down the lake. This hatch marked area here, again, is the area that uses Lake Michigan water currently. Um, you will note uh, that there are very different uh, population uh, trends here. Uh, most of the fastest growing, this is uh, census numbers from 2000 to 2010. Most of the fastest growing parts of the region are out here at the periphery uh, on non-Lake Michigan water. Um, the core communities of Chicago and some of DuPage and some of the, the taller uh, communities here in Cook County are losing population. Uh, unfortunately, when people leave the city and go to a suburb, they don't take 2.1 miles of pipe with them or something like that. Um, so we still have the same infrastructure uh, system uh, for a smaller population and a smaller industrial base uh, trying to pay for it. And that's the story in all of the communities, more or less, that use Lake Michigan water. 
Nonetheless, uh, with the addition of these 10 Lake County communities, uh, we are right about 95, 96, 97% fully allocated for, all, for the Lake Michigan water that we can use because we have to protect some of that for this stormwater amount, which is unpredictable on a year-to-year -year basis. We have to protect some for navigation, so on and so forth. Uh, we're right at the edge, 90, 96, 97%. Um, if a major community like Joliet uh, were to apply for Lake Michigan water, I'm not sure there's enough there for them. What the likelier scenario is, is that some smaller communities that are currently not on it uh, might apply, and then we'll be 100% allocated. Well, that puts a whole lot of onus on the communities that are using groundwater or river water to manage the water that they have uh, as efficiently as possible uh, because Lake Michigan is not going to be there uh, to back them up. It, it, it just won't be there 10, 20, 30 years from now because we'll have fully uh, allocated our diversion amount. Uh, they will not have that as an insurance policy. And I think they're coming to terms with that. And one of the best things about our regional water supply planning process really was that the groundwater communities of the suburbs, particularly McHenry and Kane County, woke up to the fact that they can't count on Lake Michigan water being there for them uh, when, when they run out. One of the major issues that we then have uh, with those groundwater communities uh, is that we are mining our deep aquifers. I mentioned before that when you pump water from a deep aquifer, it's more or less gone uh, forever. Uh, <clears throat> this is uh, trends for deep, uh, deep aquifer pumpage. Uh, you'll see there was this huge drop off when uh, DuPage County and, and some of the suburban parts of Cook County moved on to Lake Michigan. Suddenly it dropped off and now even since then uh, our demand for deep aquifer water is already exceeding what is deemed by the Illinois State Water Survey to be our sustainable yield. So places like Aurora, places like Joliet that have a component of their water coming from the deep aquifer are having to find uh, solutions to uh, manage that. Whether that's through efficiency and uh, you know, efficiency is more or less using different practices or technology to do the same thing we do today with less, or conservation, which is more of a behavioral shift. Uh, whether it's one of those two things or somehow creating some new water supply, this is the kind of thing that these communities are grappling with. They're doing it in very different ways. City of Aurora has the Fox River, uh, and so what it's done is started pumping more water from the Fox River and less water from the deep aquifer. What that's done is slow down the, the drawdown on the, on the deep aquifer. However, their, their treatment costs are very different because the quality of water in the Fox River is very different than the deep aquifer water. Joliet, despite the fact that they have multiple rivers running through town, isn't doing either of those things. Uh, they're, the last time I heard, uh, brainstorming a proposal to divert the Kankakee River uh, over to Joliet. Uh, they have multiple rivers running right through downtown, but I guess if you can get a third river, that seems good too. Uh, ideally, they would find some way to reduce their deep water, uh, deep aquifer consumption, and perhaps find a way to pump some water from uh, one of the rivers. Yes, sir. I'm assuming that, that it'd be a long time before they have a problem with the Colorado River. The ex yeah, it would be, that's an unlikely scenario for us. So much of the water that is in the, the Chicago, the Des Plaines, the Fox, uh, all those rivers, so much of it is treated effluent that so long as we keep having Diet Coke at uh, conferences and stuff, they'll keep being water in the, in the rivers. Um, it's an unlikely scenario that uh, we will have the kind of river drawdown that they're talking about there.
Oh yeah, they 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 might have uh, qualms about it, but yeah. Um, I mentioned before the state's in somewhat resurgent interest in creating other regional water supply planning groups. Um, this is uh, ours right here, and it looks like perhaps there will be some state funding to get that group back up and running. Uh, this is the East Muhammad, uh, the, sorry, the East Central Illinois Basin, the Muhammad Aquifer area. That's the Kaskaskia Basin. Right now, the state is doing just putting out feelers in these other regions to determine whether there's any real interest in doing a regional water supply plant. Um, I pointed out these other uh, issues of policy. They're not really planning, uh, but I'm going to talk about them a little bit uh, anyway. Um, one of the challenges we have when talking with people, particularly up here in northeastern Illinois, about water issues uh, is that I think largely because of Chicago's water rate increases a couple years ago, when you start to talk to people about potable water, at least in the suburbs that ultimately buy water from Chicago or buy water from someone else who pumps it from Lake Michigan, the first thing they turn to is prices, right? Uh, it costs a whole so much. Uh, Rahm Emanuel's a jerk, which they may be right. Um, and he raised our water rates and he didn't ask us and so on and so forth. Yes, all of that is true. Uh, Chicago raised uh, its water rates in order to pay for pipe repairs and installation of water meters. It's, it's clearly not going to fix our streets or anything like that because they're not getting fixed. Um, it's taking the money and putting it into the water system. I think a lot of people, particularly in communities that purchased water ultimately from Chicago, uh, perhaps uh, need some, uh, some more information on what they're paying for when they pay their bills. Um, the water itself is free. Nobody pays anything for water from Lake Michigan, right? If you wanted to take a bucket to Lake Michigan and fill it up, you could. Nobody would charge you for it. But even in that, there's a transportation cost and you have to buy a bucket. I mean, there are costs associated with even doing that, right? There are costs associated with standing outside in the rain and just opening your mouth and drinking, uh, the medication when you get pneumonia, and the cost to dry your clothes, so on and so forth. There is no free water, right? However, Sorry, there is free water. There is no free transmission, delivery, treatment, or processing costs, right? Um, and that's when you start to talk to people about it, they sort of get it. Um, but that didn't happen with the Chicago rate increase. And that has sort of thrown conversations, particularly with municipal officials, about water resources issues in our region uh, off on this, on this tangent. The reality, at least here in Chicago uh, and, and the core surrounding communities, is that we do need to be paying more for this. Um, but it's hard for people to talk about, converse, have conversations about consuming less water and being more efficient and so on and so forth when at the same time they're being charged for the same amount of water. This is a wood uh, water main. Um, it's obviously a small one that's about a three inch hole. It was pulled out of a neighborhood close to Midway uh, two years ago uh, and had been in the ground for about a hundred years. Uh, and to its credit, it's in pretty good shape for a wood pipe. Um, this is not the norm, but there are certainly places in Chicago that, uh, that have this. So having a conversation about water supply planning right now is difficult. People mostly want to talk about rates, which I understand. People seem to think that the rates are too high, which I can also somewhat understand. Um, I was down in the south suburbs uh, to, uh, last week. Uh, there are seven south suburban communities, uh, Blue Island, Midlothian, Markham, Allsip, those communities in there that as a response to the uh, increase in water rates from the city of Chicago, um, I, I suppose when posed with that challenge of increasing water rates, there are perhaps multiple responses, one of which is, well, let's, let's just pay it, or 
let's work together to reduce our costs by cooperating on billing and procurement and things like that. Or what they did was let's get off of Chicago water and start brainstorming ways to get water from someone else. So they were having serious conversations about going back to wells. Uh, then they started having conversations, and they're doing it right now, with Hammond, Indiana, uh, and Whiting, Indiana, um, about buying water from them and then building a 300 to $500 million infrastructure system uh, to, to bring it over to these towns. Well, <clears throat> if you want to talk about water rates going up, um, building a $500 million uh, pipe system on top of the ones you already have is certainly one way to, to achieve that. Um, but the conversation that they might have had about, okay, we, we are buying water from Chicago. It is a direct connection. There is no middleman. We don't have any control over water rates because that's the city council. Uh, but what can we do as seven other municipalities? Uh, there is a good, I think, reasonably good experience in our region with joint action water agencies in the northwest suburbs and, and in Lake County. They sort of skipped over the conversation about reducing costs and, and went right to this thing about let's get away from Chicago. And so again, they're totally so focused on the price issue and the rate issue with Chicago that other concerns about collaborative planning uh, seem to be getting lost. Um, this trend of leaky pipes, the leaky pipes, uh, is not just a uh, local one. It's another reason why perhaps we should be working together better on planning issues. Uh, this is from a very bad data set, but it's the best available data we have. Uh, every community that uses Lake Michigan water has to submit an LMO2, which stands for Lake Michigan Office 2, uh, form on which they have to tally loss. Uh, and there's a couple ways they do it, one of which they count it up and they call it maximum unavoidable leakage. The other one is unaccounted for flow. Ultimately, it's all water that you paid to buy, paid to process, paid to treat, paid to pump and then never generated any revenue from because it disappeared somewhere in the system. So it's all non-revenue water. If you look at the trends uh, in the region, um, unavoidable, this maximum unavoidable leakage is com computed, it's a factor of how many miles of pipe you have, which is pretty consistent, so that one stays pretty consistent. Unaccounted for flow has these other spikes in it. And we see uh, in terms of millions of gallons of uh, water a day lost, uh, this sort of number that makes it look like things are okay here in the region. Um, largely that's a factor of what I think are pretty unreliable numbers from the city of Chicago, uh, which on this annual form is reporting that it only has 4.5% water loss, which is like Las Vegas good, I mean nobody has that. So when you take the city of Chicago out, uh, the trend in the region is generally upwards. So we're seeing increasing percentages of lost water, increasing amounts of lost water. It's not just a numbers game. Both the gallons are increasing and the percentage of total pumpage is increasing throughout the region. Let's just acknowledge the fact that the numbers from Chicago are probably not that accurate. So we've got clusters of communities, and not just the communities you might assume, less affluent communities with less capacity. We've got communities in the western suburbs, in the northwest suburbs, and in the northern suburbs who have tremendous amounts of water loss, and they're all grappling with this individually, uh, rather than perhaps collaborating on it uh, and trying to solve these problems. You know, If you have 15% water loss in one town and 16% over here, you probably have similar issues. You might want to talk about it. Uh, and see whether you can't fix it together and maybe there's some cost savings. But we don't do that. We don't have a regional water supply planning group. We don't have a table where these conversations happen uh, and it ends to be, tends to end up being people going at it alone. One of the areas that's trying to do something about this 
uh, is the western suburbs. So these uh, five counties and their municipalities and their councils of government uh, formed a group called the Northwest Water Planning Alliance. They are by and large the groundwater and Fox River water communities uh, out there in the west. Uh, and they are starting to develop joint policies on water efficiency and water uh, conservation. Uh, Lake County, uh, for those of you from Lake County, uh, while they are a member, uh, it's really only the groundwater communities to date that have been involved, uh, which is fine. Um, it's Kane County who's doing the bulk of the lifting here. Uh, they're the ones with the biggest communities. Um, so far they've adopted a shared uh, lawn watering ordinance. Right now they're building a common uh, data tracking system to track monthly uh, pumpage, uh, so on and so forth. Um, they adopted or will adopt a strategic plan in the near future. Uh, but this is really the extent to which any sort of regional water supply planning is happening in our region. This is where it's happening. It's these five counties and these municipalities that are working on it. Again, because our regional water supply planning group hosted by CMAP uh, was sort of decapitated by the state. Uh, we're starting to be hit with other issues that might also compel some planning. This is going to be a big problem in Cook County. Um, the US EPA is coming down on the Illinois EPA, who is coming down on the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District, who is coming down on the municipalities, who will be coming down on private property owners, who will come down on their kids, uh, I don't know, uh, about infiltration and inflow. So in communities with separate storm systems, where you've got a stormwater system and a sewage system, uh, we're having a big problem of clear water, rainwater, uh, from, that, uh, from your sump pump. Uh, from your roofs getting into the sewer system. Uh, it's contributing to overflows at the treatment plants, so on and so forth. And US EPA is not happy, and it's trickling down. Um, and so one of the things we're grappling with is ways to get that rainwater, was essentially rainwater that's getting into the sewer system, uh, get it out of there. Uh, and that sort of, I mean, of course, that includes fixing your lateral lines and things like that. One of the other things we'd like to do here in the region, and it might help with some of our water supply problems, is develop an actual uh, state policy to enable uh, water reuse for non-potable purposes. So rainwater harvesting, air conditioner condensate, sump pump water, uh, maybe some gray water, other sources of non-potable water, um, really is one of the few ways that we can actually increase our available water supply by taking some water that we currently think is waste products and using it for something. The challenge here is the Illinois Plumbing Code, uh, which is governed by the Illinois Department of Public Health. Uh, I would expect that in the next month, uh, the Department of Public Health will submit for consideration by the state legislature uh, revised standards for the Plumbing Code that will allow rainwater and clear water, which is sump pump and condensate to be reused for most purposes, not drinking, but pretty much everything else, toilet flushing, irrigation, so on and so forth. And they will allow for gray water reuse for subsurface irrigation, which is baby steps, um, which is good. It'll be the first time in the state. It'll open up a marketplace for some technologies that don't exist. It'll make projects like this, which had to get a variance from the state plumbing code, uh, more common. Um, and we should see that on the books, hopefully uh, introduced in November and then on the books in January. So making some progress there as well. That was really all I was going to talk about. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some questions. Um, I guess the general, the general trend here 
uh, is that when it's really dry, people tend to talk about water supply planning, uh, and then it rains, and then they talk about stormwater management, uh, and then it gets dry again, and they talk about water supply planning. And as a result, we never have a, a sort of consistent trend toward anything actually happening. Um, we still don't have money from the state to support uh, a regional water supply planning group here. We don't have really enough support from the state to, sub to get the Illinois State Water Survey providing useful information to communities. They're pretty much a crippled organization. Um, there are baby steps that are happening. It's something to pay attention to. Perhaps if uh, it stops raining for 12 months, we'll get some stuff done. Um, but I don't know. I work on it really hard, but I'm not real optimistic that we'll have a, a robust structure for regional water supply planning in the near future. Uh, unless we can develop a revenue stream and unless we get people to focus on uh, the need for proactive planning so that they're not just constantly responding to the latest, the latest piece of bad news. So there you Thanks, go. Thanks, Josh. So let's open this up to, to a Q&A here. And as a reminder, because we're recording this for a podcast, if you can just put your hands up, I'll come to you with the microphone to record your questions. Thanks. Uh, I've heard, and I don't know that there's anything to it, that certain other places in the southwest and west have their eyes on Great Lakes water. Sure. Is there anything to that, and is there any practical likelihood that that would ever happen? So there may be something to it, but there's no practical likelihood. Um, I think at one point, some of this got sparked because a Chinese company was going to start shipping water from uh, a Canadian city, filling, filling tanker ships and taking it back to China. Um, the Great Lakes Compact, which was signed by all of the Great Lakes states and the two provinces and the U.S. government and the Canadian government, specifically precludes any new diversions of water outside of the basin. Ours is grandfathered in. There are a handful of others that are grandfathered in. So it would be very hard for anybody, certainly China, but also Arizona, um, to somehow convince anyone that a diversion made sense. Um, Waukesha, Wisconsin, which is not Arizona, it's very close to the lake, is currently uh, petitioning for a diversion of water uh, from Lake Michigan that would come through the Milwaukee pumpage system to them, and then they would return their effluent via a river that flows back to the, to the lake. That'll be a real test to see how strong that compact is. Um, either they'll say no, and then communities around the Great Lakes will realize this probably isn't uh, a feasible water source for us, or they'll say yes, and then you'll see a rush of communities that are right on the buffer of the Great Lakes watershed uh, filing additional applications. The other real reason that you're never going to see it uh, is that we can barely afford to pay for our water distribution systems now. So the idea that we're going to somehow pump uh, Great Lakes water large distances over mountain ranges to desert areas, the monies won't make sense in my lifetime. There, yes, maybe so. But the idea that we're going to pump from the Great Lakes to the Southwest is thousands of miles, um, and they have gravity on their side. In California, we we don't. Um, so, 
There's, there's just a bunch of technical and financial reasons why that would never really happen. And to be honest, if they want Great Lakes water, they can pump it out of the Illinois and Mississippi rivers because they're already getting it. I mean, they, they get our, just like Joliet. Joliet has a, has a river full of Lake Michigan water running through downtown Joliet. It's largely the effluent from the Stickney wastewater treatment plant and the Des Plaines River. There would certainly be pretty high treatment demands to get it back to drinkable standards. But it is a, so long as the city of Chicago and its suburbs are putting our treated effluent into the river, it's an eminently sustainable supply of water, so long as you can clean it up. I guess following up with that, it seems to me that one of the assumptions is that Illinois will always be entitled to the great the Lake Michigan water. That is a big assumption, yes. And I would ask you, would... Uh, your confidence level that that is actually sustainable due to the fact that Lake Michigan has been consistently dropping. There are issues about the connectivity yeah. uh, due to the watersheds. So I think, it's, I think it's more the connectivity and the, the risk of invasive species uh, movement between uh, Lake Michigan and the, and the river system. Um, and that invasive species movement is both ways. It's not just the Asian carp trying to get into the lake. Um, the issues with uh, lake levels, uh, they drop and they go back up, they drop and they go back up. Uh, that's largely climate and precipitation uh, related. They are coming back up a little bit. Uh, I think when they were, there was a bunch of news stories about them over the winter, they're always lowest in the winter. Um, there was basically no snow. I mean, so they were down, now they're back up. Uh, I think the, the lake scientists at the Shedd Aquarium would tell you this is more or less a natural process, so on and so forth. Our, our diversion of water out of the lakes is not the reason they would be dropping. It would be climate change would be the reason they're dropping. That said, the invasive species issue is very real uh, for a lot of other folks. The other Great Lakes states are uh, leadership in those states for political reasons or legitimate reasons uh, are freaked out. And there is genuine risk that if a bunch of Asian carp were suddenly to be found in Lake Michigan, a whole bunch of political pressure would come to bear and perhaps, yeah, maybe the US Supreme Court would reconsider whether or not we should actually be able to divert water out of the system. The other cities on the Great Lakes have an infrastructure system very similar to ours. They pump water out of the lakes, they use it, they treat it, then they put it back in the lakes and then they use it again. We're, we're unique in that we don't. So the technology exists for us to do it it would require a whole lot of replumbing of the Chicago metropolitan area. Uh, our entire sewer system is a gravity-based system to move water away from the lake to one of the treatment plants. And you would have to find a way to get the treated water back, fighting gravity, uh, back to the lake. Could it be done? Sure. It could absolutely be done. Um, it would come at a huge cost and would not be a trivial decision by the US Supreme Court or anybody else if they were to decide that were to happen, but it's a risk. And just like a drought is a risk, particularly for some of these groundwater communities that are trying to now develop uh, predictive drought management plans and stuff, we probably as a region should have a, a contingency plan in case someone turns off the tap on us, uh, and we don't. And so that's a real, that is a real hazard. Thanks, Josh. Sure. Josh, I wonder if you could go into a little bit more detail with respect to this replenishment issue again. You, you mentioned that our allocation is uh, offset by uh, whatever effluent we lose, I think you said that. 
specifically stormwater runoff. Stormwater runoff. Yeah. And and so I wonder with uh, like the articles in the papers today about the uh, more progress on the deep tunnel projects. Yeah, big explosion. Storage down in the quarry on I-80 and so forth. Yeah. But it depicted that uh, waters from those storage areas are going to be replenished into Lake Michigan uh, after treatment. And I wonder if you could that, comment on that and, and how that would work. If the article said that, that's a mistake because that's not the plan. So the original watershed of the Chicago and Calumet Rivers is a narrow band uh, along the lakefront. It gets a little bit wider, comes out past uh, Ashland, gets particularly wide down here and actually stretches into Will County. So this area here would have drained to the Calumet and this area here drained to the Chicago and they both flowed into the lake, okay? When we re-reversed, sorry, when we reversed the rivers uh, and you can kind of see the river in the border between these communities here and communities here. When we reverse the rivers, reverse the flow of both, the, the natural watershed flipped directions, okay? And so now all of this storm water that had been running into the lake now runs away from the lake. And that is counted in our diversion uh, amounts. So that is considered water that we have diverted from the lake. It's effectively water that we have consumed, but it's just storm water runoff. So when it rains, uh, the water goes into the sewer system, goes to a treatment plant, and gets released because we have a combined sewer system. Um, in some years, in a drought year, that can be as low as 20 to 25% of our total amount of Lake Michigan water that we can use. In a rainy year, it can be 40 to 45% of what we're allowed to use. So there's a high degree of variability. What you're describing, the deep tunnel system, uh, started in the 60s as a design uh, project. Uh, and that is intended to relieve um, combined sewer overflow pressures throughout Cook County. Um, right now, because we, don't, we have too much hardtop, essentially, and not enough capacity in our sewer system, even when we have small rain events, we have backups into the river, backups into people's basements. Uh, occasionally, less than once a year, there will be a storm big enough that the whole river system is re-reversed and we put uh, some water back into the lake. But that's very rare. The deep tunnel uh, is a series of tunnels. There's a piece by O'Hare. Uh, there's, a, there's a section that drains the north side and takes it to quarries that are over in McCook. There's a piece that drains the south side and the south suburbs and takes it to a quarry in Thornton. Um, the news story yesterday was that the final detonation at the quarry in Thornton uh, happened, and that reservoir should be online in 2015. There are huge tunnels, 36-foot, 40-foot wide tunnels, uh, that collect all of this water and move it to these quarries. The tunnels are all done. The O'Hare system is all done, including the reservoir. The Thornton quarry, which will have 7 billion gallons of storage, should be online in 2015. The McCook quarry, which should have somewhere comparable storage, isn't supposed to be online until 2029, right? The tunnels themselves are done. They do provide some benefit, but the quarries have much more storage. But that whole system is engineered just like our existing regional plumbing system, and all of that will go to treatment plants and then go to the Mississippi. So they're not gonna be using it to replenish the lake. Now, because of the invasive species question, there have been some discussions about returning some portion of our rivers, our effluent and stormwater, to the lake. And I th think it is fairly likely 
that in the next 20 to 30 years, the northern part of the city and the suburbs will actually see their water, which comes down in the Chicago River. I think it's fairly likely that we'll remove the lock at Navy Pier, put a barrier in here, and this part will be open to the lake. And so that water will be moving back and forth. So that calls in our diversion amount. How much do you need to divert if now half the region is putting its water back, so on and so forth? But nobody's really figured that out. But as of right now, that's not on the books. It's just an idea, and the deep tunnel is going to keep sending water away. You mentioned that most of the use in the Chicago area is residential use. Yep. And then you ended the presentation by talking about using gray water and yep. other kinds of water. It's my understanding that my 109-year-old home would require significant re-plumbing yep. in order to do that. Uh, so how realistic is it to say we're going to take all the homes in Chicago and make them available to have this dual system yeah. so that I can get water out of my tap, but that's not the water that I'm using in my toilet. Um, it is unlikely that with the current price of water that many people will be motivated to retrofit an existing home. Uh, I know a woman who, the more likely scenario is that in areas where the water is cheap, people will be motivated by a green, sustainable ethos to, to do this. I know a family in Oak Park who was doing a gut rehab of a house. Yeah, so, yeah. so they were tearing the walls out and everything, so pretty easy to put in a set of purple pipes because the walls were out. That's not a common thing either, and they're a, they live and sleep granola and hemp and whatever. I mean, they're, they're, they're trust me, nice people, great people. Yeah, and they have, well, they have the first residential gray water system in the state because they went down to Springfield and made their case and proved that it was okay, and great, they got a variance. Um, the likelier scenario is that the demand for water reuse systems will be for larger properties uh, and new development and in communities where water is expensive. So, city of Chicago sells water to this community, who sells it to this community, who sells it to this community, who sells it to this community. By the time City of Chicago water gets to Bolingbrook, um, it's gone from being $2.89 per thousand gallons in Chicago to being close to $16 or $17 per thousand gallons in Bolingbrook. The IKEA that's in Bolingbrook, if you were to build the IKEA next year instead of whenever, six or seven years ago, they might very well take a look at their air conditioning condensate that they produce on an average day and the rainwater running off their roof and the amount of gray water from toilet flushing and think to themselves, over the long run, it might be more cost effective to harvest that stuff, capture it, get some lead points, and not be paying the city of Bolingbrook $17 per thousand gallons to water our lawn. That's the kind of, if the, if the systems are cost effective enough, if the water rates are high enough, and if the scale is there because they're a large enough facility, that's where you're going to start to see demand, at least at the outset. Once the market gets a little more robust, the products are less expensive, you might see more going into new residential homes. Uh, and I suppose there may come a day uh, in some communities where it's so expensive that it actually makes sense from a cost perspective to retrofit your home, but that's unlikely in the near term. 
most of the challenges that you've noted are, I would describe as institutional, often political. Yes. Uh, what have we learned from the other large Great Lakes uh, metro areas, the Toronto and Cleveland and Buffalo, Detroit even? Um, on issues of water supply, nobody on the Great Lakes seems to know what they're doing, as far as I'm concerned. Um, on, on stormwater and on wastewater, we learn a lot from Milwaukee and from Cleveland in particular, because they have a similar governance and political structure to us, where their largest municipality and their wastewater stormwater utility are not the same unit of government. So Milwaukee and Cleveland, we've learned a lot about how to integrate city and regional uh, planning. We're not doing it here yet, but there are lessons to be learned, right? Um, on water supply, honestly, because of our diversion, and the requirements put us on the Supreme Court, we have always been ahead of the other Great Lakes states in terms of water supply planning. The, the fact that we have a permit process for consumption of Lake Michigan water, and that someone, even if it's one guy at the Department of Natural Resources, is managing a permit program, uh, we're way ahead of the other Great Lakes states. There, there's always been, uh, there's never been a permit program. Uh, it, was, it was really just a question of whether you were returning the water back to the lake, so on and so forth. So all of those cities and all of those states are in a way having to catch up to Illinois because of the Great Lakes Compact and requires all these conservation programs. And I think if you were to ask some folks who are monitoring it, like the Alliance for the Great Lakes or the Natural Resources Defense Council, they would say that most of the states are not close to really knowing what they should be doing on conservation or efficiency. So we're ahead of them there, which is kind of sad because we're not really that ahead of anybody here. Um, and there are lots of improvements that could be made to our programs. We are learning from them on wastewater and stormwater. And honestly, they have to be better than us on wastewater and stormwater because they're putting it all right back into their water supply. They have a lot more of an immediate imperative to improve their wastewater and stormwater management than we do because we just send it to St. Louis and they make Budweiser and, I don't know, whatever. Well, if there are no further questions, let's have a round of applause for Josh Ellis. Thank you very much. On behalf of the American Planning Association, I want to thank Josh Ellis for a thought-provoking and informative program on regional water supply planning. Thanks also to the many APA staff members who help make this program possible every month. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. I'm David Morley.